0: You can do all the training you want as a runner or as any athlete. However, if you're not fueling properly, recovering and hydrating, then you're just never going to improve or become better.
1: That was registered dietitian Janelle Vincent, and this is episode sixty-nine of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a road runner, and I'm Kim and I'm a trail runner.
2: Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Today, we have invited Janelle Vincent on the podcast to talk to us about nutritional considerations for runners and athletes. She is a registered dietitian working as a sport dietitian with the University of Manitoba Bison, Canadian Sports Centre Manitoba, Pro Prep Academy, and many other provincial teams and athletes. She has completed a Bachelor of Exercise in Sports Science, a Bachelor of Science in Human Nutritional Sciences, the International Olympic Committee Diploma in Sports Nutrition, and has been a dietitian for over 13 years. She is also a runner and was a Manitoba bison athlete for five years in collegiate track and field and cross country. Janelle works with athletes in developing nutrition for health as well as nutrition for sport goals. In this episode, we talk about nutrition before, during, and after workouts and training sessions, race day nutrition, and considerations for recovery. We also discuss hydration, the use of caffeine and supplements, relative energy deficiency in sport, and the variety of common diet trends runners may be tempted to try. Janelle drops numerous nuggets of wisdom and tips to help every runner fuel for optimal performance. Okay, let's talk to Janelle. So Janelle, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. It's so great to have you on the show tonight. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you again for many reasons, but it's been a long time since I got to talk to you and catch up a little bit. So we just spent the last 10 minutes or so getting reacquainted. Janelle and I actually worked together a few years ago at the Pan Am Clinic in Winnipeg. And at that point in time, I was a practicing physio and then turned manager, and you were the registered dietitian on staff with us there, working as part of our multidisciplinary team. And I loved how much I learned from you during that time. There was a period of time we actually shared an office, and so got to bounce ideas off you. And at one point, you even did a complete nutrition plan for me. And it was so comprehensive and so good. I still utilize some of the recipes and the tips that you gave me to this day. So I couldn't think of anybody more qualified to invite on this podcast to talk to all of us crazy runners about how to fuel and hydrate and take care of our bodies. So why don't you um, maybe just tell us a little bit more about yourself the cold notes of what we need to know about Janelle. <laughs> of
0: course, well, I'm kind of blushing right now. Thank you for all those kind words, Kim. And it's always so nice to hear from a former client and supervisor and colleague. It's uh, it's always nice to to be invited to something like this. So thank you very much. Uh, so a bit about me. Where do I start? Uh, well, I'm a sport dietitian. So I'm registered dietitian. I'm qualified to work as a sport dietitian. And I'm also a runner. I was a distance runner, switched over from sprinting in grade nine, since I realized nobody did the distance events, and I just wanted to win some ribbons, and so that's how (laughs) I got into distance running, and uh, also to get in better uh, fitness, a better fitness level for badminton. So who knew that uh, grade nine would change uh, actually a lot for me? And it was actually my grade nine track coach who got me interested in sport nutrition. He's still around uh, for those in Manitoba. It's uh, Alphonse Bernard. If anybody knows him, that was my first track coach. And at one of our practices, I remember, and I still have the one page handout explaining your window of opportunity and how important a recovery snack was. And starting in grade nine, I, always had a recovery snack with me at practice. So he's actually the one who got me interested in sport nutrition. So yeah, so I I ran track through high school and started off in university. I did a kinesiology degree, specializing in exercise physiology and biomechanics. Thought I wanted to go to grad school, started that, knew that would not get me uh, into sport nutrition like I'd always hoped. And so I uh, withdrew from grad studies and went into nutrition to become a registered dietitian. So I was super lucky that uh, U of M, University of Manitoba, had the nutrition program and got into the internship. And I've been a registered dietitian since 2008.
2: Wow, that's quite You did a really good job of summarizing many years there of your your pathway to where you are now. But the one piece I'd, I'd like you to just clarify too is at what point did you start specializing in sports and becoming a sport dietitian? Was it right away or was it something that evolved as your career evolved?
0: For me, it was right away. I knew that I really wanted to work in sports. So in my third year university, when I was finishing my kinesiology degree, I actually started running again and ended up joining the track team on campus as a walk-on in my fourth year. And so I always had that interest in working with athletes. I I was on the track team in cross-country teams for five years, and with the kinesiology background, they just all blend in Mm -hmm. so well, where I felt that I didn't only have the nutrition background, but I had the athletic background. I had the kinesiology, exercise physiology background. And just to get a more well rounded approach, I also took some coaching certificates. So I trained in level three, I never certified in track and field, uh, but just to get kind of that global experience and just understand every area that much better. And so for me, that was always the goal. And um, since there's no formal education to become a sport dietitian in Canada, the Dietitians of Canada, which is our our governing body, brought the Australian course. So in Australia, they have an actual tiered system that you need to go through to certify as a sport dietitian. And so, as part of Dietitians of Canada, the Sport Nutrition Network brought that course to Canada. So we had three Australian sport dietitians, which are like they are it in sport nutrition. And uh, so I took that in Victoria. So that was. Four days of sport nutrition in Victoria. So I did that in 2009. And then in 2011, I took the International Olympic Committee diploma in sport nutrition. Mm-hmm. So that's an online diploma, part time studies for two years. Anybody across the world can take it. And so I did that, completed it in 2013. And then in 2016, I wrote the American exam. So in the U.S., they actually have a certification program. You have to write a national exam to call yourself a sport dietitian. So as Canadians, we're finally allowed to write it. So I wrote that in 2016. So I became a certified specialist or certified board specialist in sports dietetics. Yeah. So that was my educational journey through sport nutrition to get me to where I am now. And. It's, it's been quite the journey. I was in school for a very long time.
1: <laughs> yes, you sound extremely well qualified <laughs> to be having this conversation. Yeah. Um, so, just to clarify, what type of athletes are you working with right now?
0: Mm-hmm. So, I'm working primarily with varsity athletes right now, provincial level, national, and Olympic level athletes. So, I'm very the cool. sport dietitian. Yeah. So, I'm the sport dietitian at the University of Manitoba. So. Uh was an athlete there and now I'm the sport dietitian for all of the athletes and teams there. So I think we've got, I think there's 11 teams, 350 plus athletes that I work with across the board. And uh, I also work at the Canadian Sports Centre, Manitoba. I'm one of the two dietitians there. And I work with a lot of our uh, higher provincial ranked athletes,
2: national level athletes and uh, our Olympians.
0: So that's my
2: focus right now. That's a great summary for sure. And it sounds like you have a really cool job.
0: Yeah, I honestly love what I do. It's always exciting to work with different athletes and different teams. It's exciting because these athletes are still people. So they're human first, they're people first. And then we're adding that element that they're also full-time athletes or student athletes. And I I love it. I love what I do. So I never feel like I'm I'm going to work when I get to do this.
2: Yeah, no, That's the holy grail for sure. Mm -hmm. So we invited you on this podcast to talk about nutrition to an audience of primarily runners. Mm -hmm. So if you could tell us why should runners be attentive to their nutrition? And as a follow-up to that, what role does nutrition play in training and performance?
0: Oh my goodness. Where do I even start?
2: (laughs) (laughs) You have to
1: pay
0: attention to your nutrition. So nutrition is going to fuel your body. And so if you're not fueling properly and appropriately, your body's never going to be able to do what you want it to do, right? Especially as distance runners, right? You have to fuel properly and appropriately. You can do all the training you want as a runner or as any athlete. However, if you're not fueling properly and then recovering and hydrating, then you're just never going to improve or become better so i would say definitely super important every runner should pay attention to their nutrition in my mind
2: <laughs> yeah you know what i um you hear it sometimes said like are you running to eat or are you eating to run mm-hmm. and you know a lot of runners maybe as they become involved in the sport i know and even runners who have been running for a very long time. I'm one of them. There are times you truly do run tea because you just want to, you know, you want to indulge. We're all human. But at the end of the day, absolutely. You can, you can train and train and train and train. But if you're not putting the proper fuel into your body, you're not putting it in the bank and you're just going to end up breaking down. And, uh, it is an essential
1: part of the equation. So Mm -hmm. let's dig into that a little bit more. Of course. So what are some of the things that we runners should think about when it comes to our fueling? So let's just maybe start with like on a day-to-day basis, we're engaging in our training, like not necessarily racing, but we're we're engaging in training. Say we're a distance runner. What types of things do we need to think about when it comes to our fueling that say somebody with a desk job or somebody that's sedentary wouldn't necessarily need to consider? Mm
3: -hmm. The first thing that I usually look for with for runners is let's make sure that you're eating consistently throughout the day, especially around your training time, which is going to be super important. So whether you're training first thing in the morning or during your lunch, if you're working or whatever you're doing, or if it's going to be after work or later on in the evening, let's make sure that you're fueled going into your run, which I think is a mistake or something that people often overlook where they're just trying to squeeze it in during, say, their lunch or after work, and they haven't eaten for hours. Uh, and so that's definitely something that becomes that much more important. So timing is always going to be important. However, the timing before that run or that workout is going to be especially important. Let's make sure that you're going in fueled so that you're getting all the benefits from that run versus starting off at a deficit and then having to push that much harder throughout your run. And that recovery snag becomes so important as well.
1: Just like the grade nine track coach. (laughs) Exactly.
3: (laughs) I should pull up that handout. I'm going to laminate it and put it
2: somewhere. (laughs) So let's break it down and get some specifics here. So say you're running in the morning as soon as you wake up before breakfast. Okay. What should you do for fueling for that? Okay,
3: so if it's just a recovery run, I would say you can just head out the door. You're not looking for any benefits. Let's just make sure that you had a good dinner the night before or a snack before going to bed. If you're heading out the door and it's going to be a harder workout or you're looking for some training benefits, I would say let's try to get some fuel in you. So again, like let's make sure you got a good snack the night before to top off those energy stores. And let's see if we can get a bit of fuel in you, or at least during that run to make sure that your body is getting those training benefits.
1: And what are we talking here? Like how many calories, what would be a typical, because a lot of the pushback that I hear from people is I don't want to go in like with a full stomach, right? Because Mm -hmm. then I'm trying to digest this food and it's sloshing around and I'm trying to do a hard workout. So is this like a piece of toast with some peanut butter or a banana or what, what would you recommend?
3: I would recommend definitely carbohydrates. That's what's going to be your fuel source and it's going to get digested easier than anything else. So Mm -hmm. banana, perfect. Something liquid will get digested quicker as well. So if you make yourself a smoothie the night before with lots of fruit, tiny bit of yogurt for a bit of protein maybe, drink some of that, head out, you should be fine. Or even have a gel or something like that or some sports food, right? That's just quick uh, carbohydrates as well. So just something nice and light. The thing is, everybody's going to be completely different. Mm -hmm. And so there are likely going to be some trial and error. The good thing is that first thing in the morning, your stomach's empty. So it's going to be a lot easier to digest versus what you're going to be eating later on throughout the day. So fortunately, yes, it's going to be some trial and error and some individuality and figure out what's going to work for you at that time of the day, too.
1: So nothing huge, not a great big meal, couple hundred calories should do the trick.
3: Yeah, it depends where you're getting those calories as well. And so I usually would focus on how many grams you're getting. And let's focus on the grams of carbohydrates that you're going to be getting. So a fruit will give you about 15 grams of carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. Uh, or banana would give you about 30 if it's a regular size banana. So something like that should be okay, but it depends how long you're going for, right? Like if you're going for a 30, 60 minute run is going to be very different than if you're headed out for four
2: hours. Absolutely. Yeah. Then you're going to feel more on the run too. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So how about lunchtime? Say you're working, you get to work at 738 in the morning and you've been at your desk all morning and then you're going to pop out for a lunch run. What would you recommend there?
3: I would definitely make sure to have a mid morning snack. So make sure you're having that first meal Add a mid-morning snack to head out for your run. So nothing too heavy mid-morning. Give yourself an hour to top off your fuel sources so that you can head out. Make sure you're hydrating throughout the morning. Um, then you should be okay. Yeah, I find a lot of people just get busy with work. And some people will tend to not eat at all throughout that morning and then head out for a run when they've been up for five, six hours. Uh, And so I would definitely say if you can sneak in that first meal and then a snack mid-morning, that would be perfect.
2: That would be yours truly. I managed to drink my coffee, and then it's 2 o'clock, and I realized my water bottle is still full. I haven't moved, and I haven't had lunch yet. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I'm not a lunch runner, but that will segue us into the after-work runner who has not fueled or hydrated efficiently all day long. (laughs) Yeah. And I see that a
3: lot too, right? People get busy. There's meetings that you're all of a sudden pulled into, whether it's on zoom, if you're working from home or, uh, if you're at the office or when we were at the office or this comes up or that comes up and it's just so easy to get distracted. And so I've got some athletes setting timers, especially Mm -hmm. because the athletes that I work with, a lot of them are in school right now and they're just in front of the screen all day with their online classes. And so we set a timer between every class or after every hour, you need to get up, walk to the washroom, walk to the kitchen, fill up your water, do something, but you need to get up because sitting down all day is not good for
1: you either. Exactly. And, and before you mentioned recovery, so post run, so let's say we're going, you know, we, we spoke about that kind of 30 to 60 minute run, something that we're not going to necessarily need to eat on the run. We'll talk about Mm -hmm. that separately, but we've, we've gone into it fueled. And then afterwards, that magic, uh, we've heard about a magic sort of 30-minute window, and I think that's what you're getting at with your mm-hmm. with your track coach's recommendation, but what kind of parameters do you give people for getting that fuel in afterwards?
3: Mm-hmm. So I usually tell them within 15 to 30 minutes to have a snack, especially if you're not going to have a meal within an hour to two after that training session. And mm-hmm. so I find with my athletes that I work with, it's easier to just get them in, in a routine, always have something on hand. Because then if you're planning on having a meal, but something happens and it gets pushed back, at least you know you've had that snack. So always, always have that snack. Get into your routine. And it's 15 to 30 minutes after that last hard effort. So if you're cooling down, if you're stretching, guaranteed you're checking your phone because who knows what's happened on Instagram and Snapchat in the last hour while you were working out that you've missed out on. So as you're doing that... Have a snack, like you can be on your phone and hydrate and stretch. They're great at multitasking and eat <laughs> while you're doing that before you leave the building. so
2: <laughs> oh, those words, I remember you talking about heaven forbid you're on your phone after a run years ago, and that stuck with me. I'm like. I do. I finish my run and I check to see who's texted and I want to make sure my results are posted, whatever. Um, although I'm not on Strava, (laughs) but (laughs) you're absolutely right. It's easy to whittle away, you know, 15, 20 minutes of just pattering around my car to trailhead. And since I've connected with you, I now have my Tupperware of energy balls always in my car yeah. and they don't spoil even if they freeze they're fine mm-hmm. and I can just pop a couple energy balls in my mouth while I'm exactly. getting ready to go so oh, yeah
3: and like yeah. you said you just time goes by so fast and you don't realize that 15-30 minutes has gone by especially if you're not running from home by the time you get in your car or you walk yeah. home or you take the bus or some people will then bike home or whatever it is that time has lapsed and for our athletes, all of them will shower and then they'll go to class and this and that. So
1: right.
3: it's so much easier to just get in the habit, regardless of the the length of workout or run. And regardless of when that next meal is going to be, just get in that habit. Because as soon as you're in that habit, you're just going to do it all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and does this food have to be like the most pristine, clean, perfect meal ever, or at some level are, any calories better than no calories
3: at this point. Yeah. Like step number one with my athletes, I always say, I don't care what you're eating or how much I just want you to get in the habit of having something. Let's just eat. Yeah. That's it. And once I get you in that habit, now let's look at what you're choosing at this time, right? Like, is this the best choice for you in this time frame of say recovery? And now that we've got the best food for your goals at the best time, now let's look at how much of it you're having. Are you having the right amount? Are you having the right amount of carbs to protein? Are you hydrating with the right amount at this right time? So honestly, step number one, if you're not even eating throughout the day, which you'd be surprised as to how many athletes at this level are not, and even the clients that I see in the primary care clinic that I work, step one, honestly, is just from the time you get up, Minimum of two bites of any food, minimum of two bites every four hours. We're going to work on that for two, three weeks. And even just that is, is a very big goal for some people, just to get in the habit of eating and fueling.
1: So in a perfect world, if we could put together the most ideal post-run snack, so you mentioned sort of the protein and the, and the carbs, and I've heard BCAAs, branched-chain amino acids, like what are your thoughts on what might constitute a great uh, choice after a workout?
3: Mm-hmm. So my philosophy is food first, so I will always try to get athletes and clients to eat food first. And for recovery, we want to aim for carbohydrates and protein, and actually more carbohydrates than protein. Number one, your body's goal is going to be to recover and replenish all that energy that you've just used, which is mostly going to come from carbohydrates. So number one, let's replenish those carbohydrates. Number two, we're going to repair and rebuild those muscles with a bit of protein. So it's usually about a three to one, four to one ratio of carbs to protein, And then we have to remember that we need to rehydrate. We need to replenish all that fluid that we just lost in that training session. So they all start with an R. I've got the four R's to recovery. We're going to refuel with carbs, repair with protein, rehydrate with fluids, and you're going to rest with sleep.
1: Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah. I haven't heard that before. Yes. That's fantastic. Now chocolate milk, I I believe is marketed on this four to one, three to one kind of ratio. What are your thoughts on chocolate milk?
3: Definitely. Hey, if you love chocolate milk, this is the perfect time to have it. It's going to rehydrate you. It's going to refuel. There's extra, extra carbohydrates from that chocolate. So it's almost double what white milk will have. And it's got the protein and it's got some electrolytes in there. Like it's doing everything for you. So if you love chocolate milk, if you can keep it cold, because warm chocolate milk is terrible. <laughs> if you can keep it cold, perfect recovery snack.
2: Now, what about for people who are dairy intolerant? What's a good alternative? Does almond milk or oat milk work the same way? Your best one
3: uh, ratio wise would be a soy milk. So it'll have almost the same amount as your cow's milk versus for the most part, your other alternatives are extremely low in protein. And so if you're choosing the alternative, totally fine let's just find something else to add to your recovery snack to make up for that low protein uh, milk alternative
1: all right so we've kind of we're, we've sandwiched our run now <laughs> so we're, okay. we know what we're doing before and we know what we're doing after but as we alluded to earlier there's certain workouts, long runs, and potentially races where we want to be fueling and hydrating during. Mm-hmm. So did you want to talk a little bit about that? Let's say just our our standard long run. How long does that run have to get before you're thinking about adding some fuel?
3: Mm-hmm. Great question. So I usually say if it's going to be over the 90 minutes, mm-hmm. then we want to start thinking about fueling because we're going to run out of the fuel that we have stored in our body. And so anything above that, and also important to remember not to start fueling at the 90 minute mark, but start fueling from that first step, right? (laughs) Especially uh, for new runners, I think sometimes they'll just wait until that point where they start to feel like they're hitting the wall and then start using all those gels that they've packed to bring with them. Uh, But it's super important to to start fueling so with those carbohydrates from the start so Mm -hmm, a lot of athletes will actually take that first gel or whichever fuel you choose to take before before the start of the race like before the gun goes off yes Yes. Yeah.
1: And, I, and I've heard fuel, especially for the marathon, fuel early and often because yeah. it's by yeah. the time you're, you've dug yourself that little hole, you're not coming out. No,
2: it's
3: too late. <laughs> like it's it's going to be a long last few miles. Like it's too late. You can't just recover from that. So 100% yes.
2: and your gut starts to not want the food. I'm thinking from the ultra world too. And I know this happens in the last hour or so for marathon as well. You just, your body doesn't want it. And-
3: yeah. And like, it's yeah. a little bit more complicated than this, but the way I always explain, is that instead of that like that blood supply going to the different organs of your body most of it is going to your muscles so your stomach is going to be a lot more sensitive when you're running the good thing is just like you can train your brain to learn more information and your muscles to learn a new skill and run faster and longer you can train your gut to handle more food or different foods while you're training Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it's not to wait till race day to try and see how different fuels work (laughs) practice and practice.
1: (laughs) And as a running coach, this is something I see all the time is that there's a reluctance to fuel the training runs because they're just (laughs) training runs, right? But it's like, you won't get the benefit of all of that, uh, that fuel, plus you're jeopardizing your training to even get to race day if you're not fueling those. So it's something we need to practice, we will get better at this, the more that we practice it and the gut actually actually uh, if I'm not mistaken, maybe you can correct me here if I'm wrong. But the gut becomes better at accepting yeah. those calories. Yeah. Um, so I know elite marathoners can can train their gut to be able to accept like up to 80 grams or more per hour of carbohydrate, yeah. and that's like yeah. a ton. Like try to eat that. I How know. many gels would that be? That would be it like on, five yeah, gels three, an hour. Sure. You yeah. know,
3: it's a lot. Like we. Yeah, like those ultra marathoners can train their gut to go. I think the highest I've read is like ninety to one twenty or something like that grams yeah. per hour. It's an eating contest,
2: yeah. man. That's what ultra running is.
3: It's an yeah. eating contest
2: with a little running thrown in. That's what yeah.
3: And that's the thing. Like you have to, you have to train your nutrition <laughs> just like you're training your running and training for your race. You're not just going to start training for your marathon the night before, or you're not just mm. going to step onto that start line for most people without ever having run a step in your life. And so you Mm. have to train your nutrition just like you're going to train your body to get through those kilometers or those miles.
2: I was just going to say, I think this would be a good point to maybe talk about fiber for a moment. So we talk about training your gut. Can you maybe just address, you know, the compare and contrast of the pre-run snack to the during run snack to the post-run snack? How fiber should be? mindfully thought of as a component of all of those different timings?
3: So I would say no fiber during. (laughs) Um, And it all depends on what you're used to eating. So if you're used to having a higher fiber meal, some runners are fine having a bowl of oatmeal or a bowl of raisin bran before they go out for their run because that's just what they have every single day. Mm -hmm. However, if you're used to having I don't know, and I don't mean to pick on the cereal, but something like Rice Krispies, which is very low in fiber, and all of a sudden you're going to have Shreddies or All Bran, you're not going to feel good at all, regardless if you're running or not. So before those runs, I would definitely stick to what you're used to, especially on race day. Don't try anything new on race day. I was the athlete that traveled with my box of cereal And my Tupperware container so that when I was on the road, that was one less worry. I sat in the bed in the hotel room eating my Mm -hmm. cereal. All I had to do was find milk. And you can find milk in any hotel versus my other running friends and uh, everybody else who was on the team. My teammates were scrambling for what's in the hotel, what's at the buffet, this and that, and what do we do? Mm -hmm. So
1: on that note of sticking with what you know, like you may have to try a few different brands of gels to find the one that works for you. And, or you may want to look at your goal race and what they're going to be serving up on the course. Right. And then maybe in training, try that brand. And if that happens to work for you, awesome. It's probably a few, few less gels you'll have to carry with you that day. But if it doesn't agree with you, like you're going to be Packing your own stuff, right? So, yeah. so it's all these kind of logistical things that we need to consider with the nutrition, the fueling, uh, and hydration as well.
3: Oh yeah, hundred percent. And especially yeah. for these events, nutrition is going to be such a big part of the event, and it mm-hmm. could almost make or break your race. Like, I have uh, a friend uh, and someone that I worked with as well who. Didn't notice in small letters with caffeine on her gels, and she just grabbed them the day before. And she had to stop four times during her marathon uh, to use the porto potty. And marathon is <laughs> not something, something that you can just run again the next week, right? Like it's not like a track race or a shorter event that you can just do again. So, it can definitely yeah. be devastating. So, yeah. super important, right? Like, look at what's going to be offered on race down the course. See if you can get a hold of those, practice with those. Mm-hmm. Don't sample everything at the race expo the day before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it also comes down to it's not just how your body's going to feel. But if you think about when you're running, your hands get super sweaty. So how are you going to open those gels Mm -hmm. when your hands are super sweaty and you can't rip them open? Mm -hmm. Or is it easier to just, like, if you're going to have the gels and you figure that out to have one gel or to try to eat 25 beans, (laughs) right? right? So it's those logistics as well, or I've got some athletes who cannot be bothered to try to open a gel – So they put it in their water bottle. So they're drinking their gel instead because they're going to be drinking anyways. Might as well put the gel in there. So it's all those little things.
1: A lot of people wear those hydration vests too. So it actually becomes kind of convenient. You're not carrying it in your hands. It's sort of Mm -hmm. on your person. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. all great options. I mean, we have a lot of options to choose from these days, luckily. But one thing I wanted to, to just go back to, so we, we, We're fueling the long run for sure, but are there any other kinds of runs that we might be doing that need to be fueled? And I'm thinking potentially like a harder workout that maybe isn't as long. It might be 75 minutes or something, but because of the intensity, does that require in run fueling?
3: It shouldn't, unless you want to practice your fueling at a higher intensity. You can definitely, it's not going to harm you or hurt you in any way. However, you shouldn't need to because even if it's like if you're running intervals or a tempo, mm-hmm. it'll be a shorter time frame with probably some rest periods in between. If you've timed your day properly and appropriately and you're going in fully fueled, you shouldn't need it. However, if you want to go for it, it's not going to harm you. Like I've definitely, there's definitely some athletes who have, some sports drinks on on the side of the track or the road that they like to sip on so and it's it might be nice to get your body used to it like if you know that every time you run you're going to have some fuel sometimes that just helps your gut get into kind of that Mm -hmm. mindset i guess of every time i run i'm going to get some fuel and it's just going to help me out right like it helps the psychological side of things as well
2: While we're on this topic of, you know, specific situations and running that might change the way you think about fueling, since I've moved to Calgary, I now find myself at a consistently higher altitude than I have been in a very, very long time. And with fluctuations in temperature throughout the year, similar to in Manitoba, right? We have super, super hot summer days. I had a race that was at 38 degrees Celsius this summer. And two days ago, I ran in minus 29. So Can you speak a little bit to, I know I just threw out a lot there, but considerations maybe with different weather conditions and or altitude?
3: Mm -hmm, Definitely. So altitude is definitely a drier climate. And so definitely hydration is going to become that much more important because it is drier. And I haven't looked into altitude in a long time, so I definitely might be wrong on this. I think the carbohydrate utilization is higher at
2: altitude. Yeah. And it's also harder to digest at altitude. I found I've really had to experiment with what my body will actually feel good with. Mm
3: -hmm. And I find that that's one of the challenges when we're traveling to a race. If we're coming from somewhere like Winnipeg that is quite low in altitude and we're traveling to altitude and we don't have that acclimation period, then it can definitely be challenging during the race with fueling and hydration. And if you're going from Winnipeg, where it's super cold right now, and say I had a race scheduled somewhere in a warmer climate, right? Like you're coming from a minus 30 to maybe a plus 30, and your body's just not used to it because it hasn't been plus 30 for months here. So that acclimation definitely plays a big role for some races, depending on where you're going.
1: You have done an amazing job kind of covering all of that. But again, just to reiterate, I I think it's what you're saying is it's the timing that is so, so important. So if you want to take one little baby step, it's really sandwiching those runs with the qual with the calories. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. fair to say? Definitely. Awesome. I just want you to eat. Let's just make <laughs> sure you're eating.
3: Because yeah. so many people don't eat. And I think that makes uh... the biggest difference. Like even if you're if you're not eating maybe the most appropriate foods, like there's no good or bad foods in this case, but if if it's not the most appropriate for your goals and to fuel you in the best way, you're still going to find a difference just from getting Mm -hmm. that fuel, whether it's the best or not. So step one, let's just eat. (laughs) And then we're going to look at the specifics.
1: Yeah. And so on that note, what are some signs or symptoms a person might experience if they aren't fueling enough?
3: Mm-hmm. definitely great question so we see this a lot whether intentional or unintentional and so I'm finding one of the big things is that I've got some athletes who come to every single training session and they're just not responding to training or they're getting those recurrent injuries or they're always getting sick so mm-hmm. those are the three big signs that I find like you're just not adapting all of those uh, reoccurring injuries, and that you're often getting sick is definitely a sign that you're not feeling appropriately. And that I like using the term energy deficient. So this goes into the whole relative energy deficient topic. And like I mentioned, sometimes it's intentional, definitely. Uh, A lot of times it's unintentional where that training load and that fuel just isn't being matched. And so we can definitely run into that and our bodies just just can't take it. And we start to to break down. And the easiest way to tell with female athletes is that one of the first things that we'll see is a loss in menstrual cycle. Uh, our reproductive cycle is not something that we absolutely need to survive. It's not like breathing and our heart beating. And so if our body can conserve energy somewhere, it's going to stop her period. And so that's definitely one of the easiest signs with female athletes and something that I ask every single fa- female athlete, uh, that I work with. And also if they're on any birth control, cause that'll change your cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. definitely, definitely a sign for female athletes for sure.
1: Well, I, I would love to pause on this point and, and to really drive it home because you mentioned three signs or symptoms that people may experience mm-hmm. not responding to the training injuries and, and illness. Right. When I have clients that don't respond to the training, they think they need to work harder, that they're not working hard enough. So they start working harder. When they get injured, they think they need a new pair of shoes or (laughs) they need to go visit the massage therapist or whatever. And when they get sick... they're not running
2: as much and so they think they're going to gain weight. So they stop eating even
1: more, right? Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) And then when they get sick, it's just, I mean... They got COVID, or like they don't connect. I guess what I'm saying is it's very hard sometimes for athletes to truly connect the dots Absolutely. between some of the symptoms that you just mentioned and it, them being related to not eating enough potentially. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. what would you say to that athlete that truly is like restricting calories, trying harder, doing everything but eating more? Like, how do you sort of impress upon them to drive that point home that? the food Mm -hmm. is totally important.
3: Mm -hmm. And so that's, those are all questions that I ask and that I talk through with my, with any athlete and client as well. And I definitely see the side of not eating as many calories if there are body composition or weight management goals. However, If you're restricting too much, if the goal is weight loss, you're likely not going to lose weight because you're restricting too much. And now Mm -hmm. your body is breaking down. So that's a huge sign.
1: And then do you ever see that causing them to restrict even more?
3: Sometimes. And I find that instead of it, I find it's a lot in the language that we use. So instead of saying, you're not eating enough or you're not getting enough calories. I find that using the word energy deficient takes a lot of the blame off. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's not about blaming someone or saying that they're not doing something right because they're trying the best that they can. Like this, is this is what mm-hmm. they believe in and that's okay. However, just like being iron deficient, sometimes it's not your fault. Sometimes that your iron is low. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I find mm-hmm. that in the language that we use and in those conversations that we have, energy deficient is a term that's all—it's better accepted. And how can we work to help you fuel for what your goals are?
2: Well, and that's the whole R in red S, right? Is the relative energy deficient. Mm-hmm. So, you know, relative to what you're doing, what you're asking your body to do, yeah. you may not be giving it the fuel no. that it needs, exactly. you know? And I think unfortunately, there's this stereotype, you know, we used to call red as the female triad. It's not just about females. Males can get it too, uh, or, or not get it, can experience the situation in their life. And, you know, I stereotypically will often picture the skinny 18 year old, you know, who has lost her period and her hair is falling out but it's not always that way. It can be the 45-year-old hashtag mother runner, and I'm pointing at myself right here, who found herself just a few months ago with mm-hmm. a wake-up call going, yeah, I'm working like a 10-hour day and barely eating, and then I'm trying to go out and do these runs. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not exactly a Barbie doll when you look at my waist size, but Relative to what I was asking my body to do, I was not feeling it appropriately. Exactly. And so you don't always have to look like no. you have an eating disorder to have relative energy deficiency in sport, No, no. Right? and that's
3: such a good point, Kim. Like, it can happen any gender, any age, any body shape or size. Like you mm-hmm. said, it, it's relative to you and where you yeah. are. And so I'll definitely see people who are in larger bodies who can definitely – fit all the criteria for being in relative energy deficiency, because for them, they're not meeting their requirements. And like you mentioned, we're seeing a lot more in males and it's depending on the sport. It's for different reasons. A lot of it is more aesthetic. um, And they want the six pack that they're seeing the other Mm. teammates in the locker room, or they're seeing stuff on Instagram or I'm seeing it with a lot of athletes who similar to female athletes, but a lot of the male athletes where their body is more visible to Mm -hmm. uh, the audience. So Mm -hmm. I'm seeing versus hockey where you're literally covered from head to toe in football, your body is very exposed with Mm -hmm. the type of uniform that you're wearing. Yeah. 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 Versus basketball, right. It's very different to Female volleyball and runners. I find runners is a bit different because we get to choose our uniform for the most part, right? Like when I was racing, I chose to wear whatever bottom and top. So there is a bit more of a choice versus in other sports. And I will use women's beach volleyball where it is this is what you're wearing to compete. And it's the hardest event to get tickets for at any major games. Right. And it's, (laughs) it doesn't make sense, but it's it's part (laughs) of your uniform and you have no choice. So we definitely see it a lot for aesthetic reasons, because as soon as your body's exposed and everybody can see everything, it just adds that element or in a sport where uh, it's a judge sport, like in synchronized swimming or figure skating or diving. Gymnastics, Gymnastics yeah. is a huge one as well. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. a lot of those sports where you're where you're being judged a lot on your appearance, um, mm-hmm. definitely we see it more in too. And like I mentioned, sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's completely unintentional. Like I've fallen into that category. It was completely unintentional. And I definitely have athletes where – they're moving away from home for the first time and they're going from training at the high school level to the university level. They don't know how to cook. Their training volume and intensity has increased and all of a sudden they find themselves with a stress fracture. They're like, mm, how did this happen? Another symptom, yeah. Right, that's yeah. In, the, in the injury symptom where just completely unintentional, just did not know how to fuel.
1: A lot of runners I've noticed are conscientious about what they eat. They want to eat clean if you will. And when you eat really good food, it's quite filling. And so something I hear a lot is just I'm not hungry. Like I didn't know I was falling into this because I eat really well. It it's a big volume of food on my plate, but it may not be all that calorically dense. So you mm-hmm. can fall into it while truly eating a decent amount of food um, exactly. and, and feeling well f- nourished and well fed and, and sort of falling into it by accident because you truly aren't getting those yeah. hunger signals. So what would you say? Like, again, it is, it's just by symptoms mainly that you're diagnosing this.
3: Exactly. And I'll also go through, tell me about your weight story, right? Cause often we'll see a big drop in weight or a big gain in weight. It's like just yeah. that big shift. We'll see a lot of changes in mental health. So, with reds, did reds cause the mental health concerns or do the mental health concerns cause reds? Like, that's if you look at reds, it's got all these spokes with all of the symptoms, and psychological is the only one that has the arrow that goes both ways. So, which one caused which? And so, if we're seeing a lot of irritability, depression, anxiety, like Really different mood changes. And sometimes it's hard when we're working with teenagers because I'll see the parent <laughs> and they're like, this is just how they are. But if you think about it, like if you skip a meal and you're used to eating dinner at a certain time and it's been pushed back, I know for myself, I get very hangry. That's mm. just one meal pushed back by a couple hours. So imagine yes. that every single day when you're in that deficit. So there's a lot of mental health changes, there's a lot of sleep disturbances, uh, there's a lot of concentration. There's a lot of, I see a lot of athletes get stomach issues because if you're not eating enough, just like any muscle, if your digestive tract isn't being used, and this is more when we get to more like anorexia, those muscles aren't being used as much. So they're going to not work as well and be as efficient. So we see a lot of constipations, a lot of bowel issues and bloating and gas. I often ask for blood tests just to see where their iron levels are and things like that. But like, as you get more and more into this and we turn more into eating disorders, we'll see something like some of the cholesterol values change. There's so many things that we can look at, like metabolism and hormonal and GI. So I have a way of sneaking in all of these questions through conversation in a way to to ask these questions. And I can get a really big and good picture as to where the athlete is, because I've just been working in this area for so long that we just get really good at, picking up on it. And I think it's such an important topic and something really important to, to always kind of look into, because if your Mm -hmm. athlete is not healthy, if they're not just a healthy person and human to start off with, then they're not going to be a healthy athlete.
2: I remember when you were interviewing me to give me my, my eating plan or my nutrition plan, I should say. And I was downright uncomfortable. There were periods of, there were questions you were like, you know, I went into the interview thinking, hey, I'm running an ultra marathon every year and I'm a physio and I'm at a good weight. And I think I got it pretty much together. And I'll be honest, I was in the back of my mind going, what can she really tell me that I don't already know? Oh my God. Yes. There were, there were questions that you asked and I was, And even still now, I'm thinking, you know, these things ring in my head of particularly it was around timing. It was around timing. That was the biggest eye opener for me. And the size of my lunch kit had to increase by two after meeting with you because I was all of a sudden packing, you know, so much fruit and so much. Anyways, I won't digress about my own experience, Mm -hmm. but that is where a professional, I think, can really help shine the mirror right back at you and help you see the things that, you know, you're too busy training and working and living and nutrition is one of those things that I think when the mental energy and the motivation is down, it's just, it's just people are too tired to even think about it. Mm-hmm. And so when you have somebody reflecting back at you, what you need to do, it can be really, really helpful.
3: Definitely. Right. And it's through those conversations that we can kind of shed light into the, these, these different areas. Right. And it's again, not to put blame and you need to bring more food or you need to do this, or you need mm-hmm. to do that. It's How can we help you? How can I best Mm -hmm. support Mm -hmm. you through this journey? What can I do to make your life easier? How can we work through this? Let's make these goals as simple as we can to help you move through this and so that it just becomes routine. And it's getting, like you mentioned, the mental side, right? Like we're exhausted. There's so much going on in life these days. And on top of that, now you're going to go out and train for hours we have to keep your brain healthy as well. And that's going to be through food too.
2: Let's shift gears a little bit now and talk a bit more about hydration. So I know hydration isn't the first thing people often think of when they think about nutrition, but it's a huge part of nourishing your body well and allowing your body to utilize the, the nutrition, the solid nutrition that you are eating as well. So I learned a lot from you when it comes to hydration way back in the day. And I'm just going to kind of leave it as an open-ended question. What is hydration? First off, it's not just about water. And then what are some things that we need to be aware of when it comes to hydrating our bodies mm-hmm. properly for running?
3: That's such a great question. It's such a great point. It's not just water. When I talk to my athletes and clients, let's look at all the fluids that you're having throughout the day. And here comes timing again. It's not just the amount that you're having by the end of the day, but how are you hydrating and what fluids are you having throughout your entire day? So I've worked with athletes who are like, Janelle, I'm meeting the requirements that you told me. And it's like, yeah, but you're having them all from the like after practice because you're rehydrating, but you're going into practice completely dehydrated because you've had nothing all day while you're sitting in class or at work. So again, it comes with timing as well. The easiest thing and here come the hard questions that I ask. I'm going to ask about your menstrual cycle. We've talked about that already. I'm going to talk about your bowel movements. And we're going to talk about the color of your pee. So I always tell athletes, if there's one thing that you remember after this session, is to check the color of your pee. It's one of the easiest ways to tell if you're hydrated or not. And Yes, for sure. Some vitamins will change the color and make your pee neon after you've had a vitamin or asparagus will make your pee smell. Or if you've had beets, that'll change the color of your pee as well. However, in general, just look at the color of your pee. And what color should it be? Almost clear. Like I always say a light yellow, nothing against apple juice. However, if you're peeing the color of apple juice, you're dehydrated. If you're waiting until you're thirsty, you're dehydrated. Even just talking right now, I can tell my mouth is getting dry and I'm, I'm not exercising or doing anything. Yeah. And it's getting into that habit of always having something near you so that you can be sipping on something throughout your day and maintaining that hydration level. Especially first thing in the morning, like start hydrating right away. We can sweat, I think it's something like up to a liter overnight, depending on the temperature of your room. And If you're dreaming, sometimes we become more anxious at the night and we sweat more, et cetera, et cetera. And so a liter is a lot of fluid to lose overnight. So you might be hydrated when you get to bed. However, by the time you wake up the next morning, you gotta you gotta start again. And it kind of brings us back to that morning run where if you're getting out of bed and you're headed out the door, are you starting your run dehydrated? Because as soon as you're dehydrated, that can affect you up to 10%. The most you can now give say in that training session or that race is 90% if you're dehydrated, regardless of Mm -hmm. how you're feeling mentally, if you're tired, if you're battling a small injury or
2: something. So what's the best drink to drink to properly hydrate your body? I mean, there's lots of different sports drinks out there, Mm -hmm. but you know, we mentioned that it's not just about water. Should a person be adding a little pinch of salt to their water? You know, what are your recommendations there?
3: I count everything as fluid. I usually say water, number one. If you don't like the taste of water, let's change it just to get you to hydrate.
2: Coffee and tea count
3: as well. I count broth-based soup. I'll count smoothies. I'll count 100% juice. I'll count pretty much everything except for alcohol, energy, drinks, and pop for fluids. If you're someone who's a heavy sweater, you can definitely add something with salt or a bit of carbohydrates in your drink to help you retain that fluid more then the water especially afterwards during your recovery or even throughout the day if you find that you're getting dehydrated and you just want to make sure that you're headed into something hydrated you could do that i wouldn't walk around drinking a sports drink all day you really don't need those extra grams of carbohydrates might as well drink kool-aid (laughs) if you're gonna do that i say so water would probably be your go-to and then if you want a little bit of extra you can add something for sure And you can make your own sports drink, too. That's one of the things that I often Mm. use. So contrary to popular belief, sports drinks don't have that much sugar. So juice actually has double the amount of grams of carbohydrate than a sports drink. So a sports drink would be like Gatorade or Powerade. And so Gatorade and Powerade were made specifically for the purpose of sports. So there's that perfect amount of carbohydrate and electrolytes to help it be absorbed in the best, most efficient way. And so knowing that juice has double the amount of carbohydrates per cup, what you can do to make your own sports drink is one cup of juice, 100% juice with one cup of water, and then add a pinch of salt, shake it, and you've got a homemade sports drink.
1: Hmm i love it wow mind blown Mm -hmm. (laughs) in whatever flavor is your favorite hey
3: strawberry kiwi to mixed berry you can do it whichever way you want i also have another recipe i don't know the everything offhand but i think it's it's like water a bit of lime juice maple syrup and salt Mm -hmm. or something like that Mm -hmm. you're getting you just you want your carbohydrates and you want your salt and fluid right so yeah something like a lemon and it
1: if If you threw some protein powder in there, would that be a good post-run or workout drink?
3: You definitely could throw in some protein powder in there. I would make sure that you're hitting that ratio. Mm -hmm. You definitely could. I don't know how well it would mix, but you can definitely try
2: it. Yeah. So while we're on this topic of adding things to your drinks and to your, your nutrition, what are your thoughts on things like supplements? and um, maybe even caffeine as a, as a tool for training.
3: Yeah, I mean, it can definitely work. As I mentioned, I usually try to go food first, and let's make sure that you can get everything through food uh, for the reason that food usually costs less, food tastes better, and you can get a lot more out of food. Versus if you're taking a supplement, it's usually that specific nutrient that you're finding in that supplement. Depending on what level you're training at as well or that you're competing at, Uh, So for my varsity athletes and the athletes at the sports center, since they do have the opportunity to get drug tested, we just need to make sure that what they're taking is safe for them to take and certified. So anything, even protein powders or anything else. And if they're taking caffeine supplements, we double check to make sure that it's as safe as it can be for them. For the general population, there usually isn't that risk. However, personally, I would love any supplement that I take to be certified For the reason that what's on the label is actually in that powder and vice versa, so that I know what I'm putting into my body. So I usually go food first for that reason. It's safer. You know it's in your food and you can get so much out of it. However, I do definitely work with people who swear by supplements. If you're one of those people, we'll make it work. Let's make sure, number one, that it's safe for you to take. Number two, that it's actually going to help you in your chosen sport, like if there's something that's going to impact something like short bursts of energy from zero to 30 seconds and you're training for an ultra marathon, that is not the supplement for you. So you're really just wasting your money. So that's number two. Number three, now that you've chosen a supplement that can actually help you in your sport, let's make sure that you're following the proper protocol for it. right? Because there's supplements that you have to take every single day. There's some supplements that can't be mixed with certain other nutrients and that should be, say, mixed with with carbohydrates, that you shouldn't mix with cold or hot. There's some that have a prop like a certain amount of timing, like you mentioned with caffeine, where it takes about, I think, 45 minutes for caffeine to be absorbed. So we've got athletes who are taking like caffeine pill after caffeine pill because they're just not feeling it. And then all of a sudden later on, they're like, I feel like I can push a bus right now. So Supplements can definitely fit. Let's just go through those steps to make sure that you're taking a safe one that is useful for your sport and that you're following the correct protocol. So if you're going to take it anyways, I'd rather help you through it than me tell you don't take it and you're going to do it anyways. And there's a huge placebo effect with anything that we take. Like as soon as you swallow a pill or a powder, if you believe that this substance is going to help you, It probably will. And as long as it's not going to harm you, I usually say take it. Yeah. As long as there's no negative side to it medically or anything else, your mind is such a powerful tool. Mm -hmm.
2: Or you're spending your entire food budget on that supplement and you're not able to buy You
3: know what? It's really funny (laughs) that you say that because I've got athletes who are like, Janelle, food costs so much money. And they walk in with a gym bag full of supplements and like these expensive headphones decked out in Lululemon. And I'm like, you clearly choose where you spend your money. Food is not that expensive.
1: (laughs) Oh, so interesting. Well, I I hesitate almost to ask this question because I feel like it might open a can of worms. Mm -hmm. But I would love to kind of get your high level take on some of the trending Like we, we all know we've, we've lived long enough to see different fads come and go, but of course there's always nutrition fads, right? Mm -hmm. So thoughts on keto, paleo, low carb, vegan, uh, intermittent fasting, like the, the traditional diets, if you want Mm -hmm. to call them that, where do you stand on those? I get these questions
3: like almost daily. So like (laughs) supplements, I usually say if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is, right? There's no one size fits all for eating. So whatever diet or way of eating you choose, it is not going to fix everything. It is if it's not going to help with everything, a certain way of eating is not going to be the best for everybody. So it's, it's really finding what is going to work for you. And so I usually go through a few questions like, what interested you in this way of eating? Mm, Right? Like, what do you think this is? Right? I'll use gluten free as an example, because I have celiac disease. So I have to eat gluten free. So if you're choosing to go gluten free, is this something that you have to do? Like, I have to do it medically. I have no choice for life. What does gluten free mean to you? If it's just cutting out bread, you're not gluten-free. You have chosen to remove bread. (laughs) Okay? You're (laughs) bread-free. Exactly. There is so much more out there with gluten. So, what does keto mean to you? Like, what what interested you in keto? Like, keto's the hot one right now. What interested you in keto? What do you think this is going to do for you? What does keto mean to you? Like, is it actually true keto, or are you incorporating some of the ways of eating? And Like, what have you heard about it? Where did you hear about it, right? Because really scientifically, the only thing from what I last read that specifically keto helps with is epilepsy. Mm -hmm. Apart from that, anything else except for seizures, it's really about calorie deficit that people will go on some type of diet or change their way of eating. The the next thing or second thing that I ask is, are you going to follow this way of eating short term or long term? if it is long-term, is this sustainable? Can you maintain this? How different is it from what you're doing now? If it's drastically different and you're just jumping in, do you think this is going to be sustainable long time? Like, can you change this and have this become a lifestyle?
2: Well, and how will it affect performance? Yeah, that's where I would do right. Like short-term performance can dramatically improve, very short term. But you go more than thirty days on some of these diets, and the endurance just drops.
3: Exactly. That's an important part too. Like how it will it affect your chosen sport? If you're going to run a marathon, Mm -hmm. is this going to help you fuel appropriately? If you have any type of medical condition. Will that have an impact on your medical condition or any medications Mm. that you're taking? How is this going to impact you socially? Like if you have a family Mm. and now you're following a certain way of eating, is your entire family Mm. going to follow this way of eating or are you now cooking two meals? How is your family going to respond if they now see mom or dad eating a different way than the rest of the family? Mm. Are you still going to be able to participate in all your social events? Are you going to travel? How is this going to impact travel? And so I usually, like, I'm not here to tell you to do something or not do something. Mm -hmm. I'm here to support you. And let's talk through this. And how is this going to work for you? What does this look like for you? Do we need to do 100% gluten-free or paleo or dairy-free or vegan or whatever it is? Can we incorporate parts of it and see what happens? That's usually my approach versus telling someone yes or no, do it or don't do it. If their mind is set on it they're going to do it anyways. I worked Mm -hmm. with someone in the past who was convinced that the YouTube video that they watched was the be all end all. And they were jumping into a three month juicing cleanse. And this is what they were going to do. To me, a three month juicing cleanse is probably not the safest thing to do. However, they were going to do it anyways. So I'd rather be there to support you and be there by your side while you're doing it than not. So I like to get to have that conversation. And then in the end, let's choose what the best way to
2: eat is for you. Mm -hmm. I like that moderate approach.
1: And the questioning, like just just get curious and ask them questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. examining
3: all aspects. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the big thing too, because I think people are like, oh, well, my neighbor did it. Or my sister-in-law is doing this, or I read this or saw that. And it's like, okay, lady, I let's I saw talk a through Netflix it.
2: documentary. Exactly, yeah. right? And <laughs> what, I've, what I've started
3: to do a lot is, for any decision or change that we're making, what are the pros and cons of changing? And what are the pros and cons in staying? Mm. So you have those four quadrants, And mm. let's talk through it. Let's talk through every situation and mm. see what is the best for you and where you
2: are currently. There's the coaching in you coming out right there. You know
3: what? Oftentimes what we do, it doesn't really have to do with food. I find as dietitians, like there's a lot of counseling and I've taken, I've actually taken a couple of counseling courses and it's, co- it's life coaching, it's counseling, it's mm-hmm. It's so much more than just food. Yes, of course, we need to fuel for the marathon or the ultra marathon or the triathlon or whatever it is you are or aren't doing. However, there's so much more to food than just food itself. Like food just Mm -hmm. brings so much emotion and comfort. Mm -hmm. And there's a cultural background and there's, you need to eat. There's just, but there's just so much more to it than just that.
1: Totally. It's so, it's so personal. It's so emotional. Like you said, it's so complicated and nuanced, right? So just getting to the root of the problem, that could be your whole visit uh, probably over the course of seeing someone is just.
3: And sometimes it is. And I have so many athletes and clients who just get so discouraged. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. always tell them, you know what, just because we all eat, it doesn't mean that eating's easy. And if eating were easy, I wouldn't have a job because, you know, Mm -hmm. like eating is not easy and that's what I'm here to help
1: you with. I love it. Love (laughs) it so much. Like you're just dropping all the truth bombs here. Um, so before we wrap up, if you were to leave us with the top three things that you really want runners to know about eating and fueling, what would those be?
3: Mm -hmm, For sure. I would say, especially an endurance event, eating is going to be super important. It's going to be as important as the training itself, because you have to fuel your body and your mind to get through those training sessions to get through that race. So practice and practice what you're going to do on race day. And there's more to eating than just eating. And sometimes it's okay to not be okay. And just seek out someone to talk to. That's what we're here for. Like, I love talking to runners about food and what's going on and I find that our profession is often seen as the food police and I've done something wrong and so I need to come see you Mm -hmm. however let's be proactive and we're trying to change that where why not seek the help of a dietitian to talk through Mm -hmm. this and get you feeling your best so that you can do all the training that you want your body to do.
1: Mm -hmm. And on kind of on that note, I guess, as a coach, I often think, Ooh, like we're getting into territory. That's a little bit out of my scope of practice Mm -hmm. and above my pay grade, quite frankly, uh, when it starts to get into some of, some of these conversations. So when should somebody seek professional guidance?
3: Anytime. And I love that you said that because as a coach, So much is expected from you and so much is put on your shoulders. You're not only a coach. Sometimes you're the best friend. Sometimes you're the parent. Sometimes you're the physiotherapist and the massage therapist and the sports psychologist and the dietitian. Like everything falls on you. And that's where we come in to help you out so that you don't have to do it all. And so I would say anytime, right? Yeah. Before you start running. Right. Like I've got some athletes who, or some clients at the medical clinic who are like, I would love to start being physically active. Can I make sure that my nutrition is good and solid so that I can even take that first step? Mm -hmm. Or I've got, I've got athletes who have been training their entire life and they're at the point where it's like, okay, I think I need a bit more. Can we Mm -hmm. talk through this and see, is there gaps? Sometimes there's no gaps, mm-hmm. but sometimes there are gaps. And yeah. so that's where the interdisciplinary team comes in, yeah. where we all have our different areas and we all kind of overlap. And together, we can help you be the best athlete that you can be mm-hmm. because we're we are all working together for you.
1: Right. I love that you said that because a, a lot of times I hear this, like, I'm not a good enough runner to hire a coach, right? Aren't coaches only for like the bit? I'm like, no, like the best time to hire a coach is when you're getting introduced to the sport. So you do it right from the beginning, you know? And so on that same note, it's like, hire the diet, the sports yes. dietitian before you need them. It's sort of like yes. digging yourself out of, out of the uh, hole in the marathon when you haven't fueled early and often mm, enough, it's like kind of, yeah. kind of hard when, when you're further down the line. Right. So <laughs> um, listen up folks, if you're listening to this yeah. and you even have just a little inkling that you would benefit from the professional guidance of a sports dietitian, why wait?
3: Yeah, Exactly. Let's be proactive.
2: Absolutely.
1: Well, you know... We we were, before the podcast,
2: talking about how awareness for all facets of health has really increased during this pandemic. And, you know, mental health has become destigmatized, people reaching out for psychology and, you know, mental health support. And you mentioned that people are reaching out more for nutrition and di- dietitian mm-hmm. support mm-hmm. as well. And I think, you know, we're talking to runners primarily on this podcast, but runners are humans first. And if we just gave ourselves the gift of that self-care before, during, after, at all times yeah. that we may or may not need it. Um, we're just going to be that much better athletes and that much better parents and that much better spouses and, and bosses and employees and, and all around better humans mm-hmm. all around. So exactly. thank you so much with, for sharing all of these awesome, awesome. great tips with us, Janelle. Um, as always, it's a pleasure. Everything you say is just point on relevant and and um really helpful to everybody so thanks again thank you so much for having me